Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Options Action. I'm Dominic Schuin from Melissa Lee today, live from the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square. Right now, sifting through the financials from a regional route to a hidden set of gems in this sector, could this be a way to ensure gains? And then betting on the big daddy of the banks. One of our traders says this is going to be a power player in the new year. And then later on, an open house options trade will hit the nail on the head and open the door on the home builders. With me tonight, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and a special appearance by Scott Nations. But before we get to tonight's trades, let's wrap up this week's market action. Stocks losing steam in today's session, closing out the week negative and snapping a two-week winning streak. Carter, what do you make of the action in the markets? I mean, by all accounts, it has to go on the ledger every week is either positive or negative and it's a down week it was sloppy and what's really important is it's happening in the context of this and frankly it's bizarre this bizarre notion that you have to have a year-end rally i will point out that you know the whole notion of a, a december strength or christmas rally santa Clara, it's simply a momentum trade when markets are up and most years they are 70 percent of the time you continue in down years uh, the so-called December rally is is not the thing to rely on. All right, Scott Nations, what do we think? Well, I'm actually a little bit more pessimistic than Carter. Uh, this was a horrible week. It was S&P down 3.5%. And Don, look at the last hour of the last day of the week. It was terrible. And people are not afraid. While at the money implied volatility, particularly for shorter dated options, which catch next week's Fed meeting, while they got a little bit of a boost, the stuff that's really out of the money, the out of the money puts, at least as measured by tail deck, that only rallied 13 percent and is still very, very close to its all time low. So people are not afraid of what the Fed is going to do next week. And that may be a real problem. Now, I mean, Mike Coe, to Scott's point, we just showed the intraday of the S&P 500 and that last half hour looked freaking terrible. Right. So what do you make of the action? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we've seen is uh, actually, if we just look back a couple of weeks, you know, I think that people have gotten a little bit too optimistic. We know that uh, the rate environment, the inflation environment, there's a lot of signs that we are likely to be entering a slowing economic condition, possibly a recession, maybe very likely a recession. And yet the market hasn't been behaving that way. Uh, up until perhaps I think this week, you know, I, I people have been dismissing that consideration. Uh, I think they were reminded very slightly with today's inflation data. You know, I, I think a tenth of a percent this way or that in the inflation data shouldn't really uh, concern us that much. But I do think that inflation is a persistent problem. We are, should not be expecting rates uh, to come down anytime soon. That is going to pressure the economy. And that has to get priced in sooner or later. You cannot have a decade of declining rates, basically a bull market for risk assets, a bull market for bonds, and of course, all of the fuel that that lends to the economy, and then reverse that condition and not expect there to be some pain. So uh, I actually think that the action that we saw this week uh, makes sense as people sort of come to their senses, if you will. All right. So let's get to, by the way, some of those financials that we mentioned before, Carter. You're taking a look at one part of the group that people don't often think about when they think about financials. Where are we looking at? 
We're going to get around to insurance and talk about MetLife, but first let's just set the table with the very first chart. And, and, and this is the inconvenient truth for financials. This is an all data chart going back to 1989 when they changed the sector nomenclature. And the top line is the S&P and the bottom line there is the S&P 500 financial sector. Basically, the market has doubled the performance of the financial sector. And that's because big banks are, are, have been a chronic underperformer. Um, let's look at the next chart. This is a two panel. And what you're looking at here is the XLF, the financial sector on the top, relative performance to the SPY. And so even as it ascends, it's all about what your opportunity cost was, the choices you could have made. Look at the bottom panel. Financials just don't deliver. Um, moving on, look at the BKX. Now this is, talk about sequencing. Drop, rally back, drop, rally back, drop. The BKX's relative performance to the XLF is making new all-time 20-year lows right now. Banks are a problem, and they're really a problem if you get into a recession. Um, but let's look at MetLife. So two charts to wrap it up, MetLife with no drawings, no lines, no annotations. Let's put some in. Final chart. MetLife, after breaking out, is checked back to the level from which it broke out. Quite often, you get a bounce there. Uh, I like it for just that, a bounce here. All right, MetLife, the trade there. So, Mike, what is that? And do, do you like it and do you trade it? So uh, I think, first of all, let's think about uh, financials more broadly. Just uh, the XLF, if we want to use that as our proxy for it. You know, the, the narrative, obviously, in the declining rate environment uh, was very good from an economic perspective. And then a lot of folks were sitting and talking about rising rates being positive for banks, uh, talking about things like net interest margins. Of course, that's only true if the yield curve is upward sloping. When it's downward sloping, uh, net interest margins are not that great. And I'll exclude the top five banks from that for just a second because they're actually not really paying anything on their deposits compared to, say, you know, some of the smaller ones like PNC citizens and so on. But of course, you combine that with declining mortgage originations, deteriorating credit quality, declining CNI loan growth. It just doesn't spell a very good recipe. So rather than shorting XLF, I think you could just go out to February, buy a put spread, the 3431 put spread in February. I was looking at it, it cost a little over 70 cents. And that would be the way to hedge your uh, bank exposure or to press a, a bearish bet after a, a weak week, if you will. But taking a look at Met, this is an interesting case because here you've got a company that's trading at a very similar valuation to some of the big banks, but doesn't face some of those same pressures. In fact, with higher yields right now, and also their PRT business, that's their pension risk transfer business, and that's when defined benefit pension plans transfer their risk over to the life insurers like MetLife, and they actually just did a big deal with IBM. Uh, that actually isn't bad. You could buy these things essentially for the same multiple as you can get those banks. And although they're not completely immune, if we see the employment picture deteriorate just a little bit, they might get hurt by that, of course, because their employment benefits packages are going to be associated with that a little bit. And of course, they're being hit by declining asset prices. But for the same multiple, they are a better bet and their cost they cost about the same. So there I would just look out to February buy an at the money call. So MetLife trading a little over 72 bucks. That would be the 72 and a half call. You could buy that for about $3.85. Bear in mind that that actually cost you less than just the decline that we've seen in MetLife's prices today. They presented at the Goldman Sachs conference earlier this week. And, uh, you know, I think what management was saying was pretty positive. They seem to be meeting their, uh, their goals, their targets. And so on a relative basis, if you're going to be in financials, that's the place to be. 
All right, interesting because some of these insurance stocks in the S&P are at or near record highs still in this current environment. All right, so, so Scott Nations, you're looking at, now, we've, now that we've shelved the insurance companies, the best in breed into some of the big banks. What do you think in the trade there? I, I think that Mike and Carter are right, but in a situation like this where a sector is troubled, the best of the breed can really benefit. And the best of breed in the big banks is by far J.P. Morgan. It's the best bank by a mile. It has the best risk management of the big banks by a mile. And Mike pointed out that none of the big banks are paying very much for deposits, but J.P. Morgan is paying even less than Bank of America and Citi. And so I want to invest in the quality name here because I do think that J.P. Morgan is going to do well, particularly because they manage their risks so well. But I want a margin of safety here. And the way to do this in J.P. Morgan is with a risk reversal. When I was putting the trade together earlier, we could execute that by selling the Feb 120 put, $2.70. And we're going to use most of that premium to buy the Feb 145 call, pay $2.20. So we're pocketing 50 cents, but that's really not how this trade works. How this trade works is if J.P. Morgan falls, then I definitely want to be a buyer. I get to buy it at 119.50 or a net of 119.50 if it's below 120 at that February expiration. Or I get to buy it if it rallies uh, above 145. And so I just I love the fact that I get to buy the best bank in the business, which is taking business away from others and has the best risk management in the business. I just, I like the name and I like the structure because we have, um, we, we have a, a margin of, of error here. All right, so Carter, I mean, there, no doubt, J.P. Morgan Chase has been an outperformer over banking rivals, especially the money center side of things. What do you think about the charts there? What do they tell you about J.P. Morgan? Well, it's just what you start out the, this the best in breed and, and what Scott has said is best in class, but the question is, is the market unaware of that? I think the market is completely aware of it. Uh, I'll show you two charts just to make that point. The first is a comparative chart. This is a three-month chart. Just consider those three lines. The top is JP Morgan. It's up 10.5%. The bottom is the BKX. It's down 10.5%. And the middle one is XLF, UNCH. JP Morgan is outperforming the index by 2,000 basis points. Now, people have figured this out. Look at the second chart. It's a ratio chart. And what that is is simply plotting JP Morgan's relative performance to the BKX. And you see how we've spiked here? That spike, we are as over, uh, sort of as an extreme reading as we were at the COVID low. Meaning at the COVID low, banks are plunging, so is JP Morgan, but JP Morgan's relative outperformance spikes because people hide in the safest name. We're as extreme reading now as we were in the COVID low. I think um, everyone's here. And then just to point this out, if banks do trade at price to book, JP Morgan's one and a half times book. City is 0.5. BAC is one times. Wells Fargo is one times book. There's a, it's already priced in, perhaps. All right, Mike Coe, excellent point on valuations here. So what exactly are you thinking in terms of the trade? Is the, I mean, look, it's the best house on a bad block. You know, you can have good management, you can have a well-run business, but this isn't a situation like Apple versus BlackBerry where consumers are trying to choose between one or the other. Ultimately, when the price is better at some of these other banks, they could move those deposits. They really are just in a, in a tough business, in a tough environment, and uh, so I'm not a buyer. All right. Mike Coe there, thank you very much for that on the trade, and of course to Carter and Scott as well. Still to come on the show, our home builders trading on a strong foundation. We'll dig into the housing trade coming up ahead. And for everything Options Action, by the way, check out our website and our newsletter. We've got more Options Action coming up after this.
Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome back to Options Action. The housing trade has been trapped in the basement all year long as rising rates wreak havoc on one of the backbones of the U.S. economy. The XHB Home Builder ETF and the ITB Dow Home Construction ETF are both down more than 25% in 2022. But Professor Ko says rather than take a wrecking ball to the space, you can use options to build a solid foundation for the profits. Mike, show us the blueprints, please. Yeah, you know, it's interesting after all of the things I was just saying that uh, I might actually be taking a bullish bet in the home builders because, of course, a lot of the same things that I was talking about before have implications here. You know, if we do see employment weakening, then, of course, that's going to hurt consumer confidence and that's going to be uh, a headwind, obviously, for home purchases. Obviously, we have much higher borrowing costs and we've seen the implications for that. It's obviously hit this space hard and it's increased the cost of purchasing a new home significantly. All of that said, though, uh, because this has fallen more than the market, because we are seeing valuations falling back to, on a relative historical basis, relatively low numbers here, and also the response of toll. So toll actually announced earnings this week. The stock actually traded higher out of that. We've got a couple more earnings coming up. Lennar is one of them. It's actually one of the two largest constituents of ITB, that and DR Horton. Now, these businesses are running a more asset-light business model now. And it is possible, I think, that we are starting to see the bottoming take place in these, at least in the short term. So I'm inclined on the basis, basically, of the price action that I saw in Toll Brothers following their earnings to make a bullish bet going into earnings for Lennar next week. Uh, I was looking to January and looking at a uh, call spread as the way to purchase some upside here and minimize my downside risk, specifically the 61.67 call spread. That's a $6 wide call spread. Spending, in this case, a little over two bucks for it. Now, when I was looking at that earlier today, this was very slightly in the money. So that helps account for the fact that that's spending a little bit more uh, in terms of premium, the distance between the strikes than I would normally look to do. But of course, that's also risking just, um, you know, 3% or so of the current price of ITB. I think that's a way that you can risk very little and possibly uh, participate to the upside if some of the other home builders follow suit to what we saw after tolls earnings. All right. So a, a well-defined risk range there in terms of risk reward for that ITB trade. I mean, thanks, Mike. Carter, what do you think about what, what do the charts tell you? I mean, they have all the elements of a bottoming out formation, bearish to bullish reversal. Let's look. So four identical ITB charts. And what you're going to see is on the first iteration, a break above a downtrend line. Look at the next way to draw the lines. It doesn't matter how you draw them. This is what bottoming out looks like. Let's put those first two together. We have a cup and handle, if you want to call it that, but it's a reversal. We have a move above a downtrend line. And then finally, you could also just use a moving average to tell you the tale. The 150-day moving average, the smoothing mechanism is now flat and rising. Okay, so that's the trade there. Scott Nations, I wonder what your take here on, the, on housing and Mike's trade as well. I mean, he mentioned Toll Brothers with the earnings report. By the way, this week, Lowe's on home improvement also reiterated its forecast for the year and added $15 billion to its stock buyback. It sounds pretty bullish. It does, Dom. And, and if you look at home builders, 
it's easy to, to shrink away. But I think most of the bad news is out. Uh, lumber prices are down precipitously. And where we are with uh, mortgage rates, they're high only if you were born 10 years ago. Uh, if you were born a little bit more than 10 years ago, then you realize that they're actually still relatively low. And so uh, this may be one of those things where people think it's so bad that it's good, uh, particularly in a situation where energy prices are coming down, lumber prices are coming down, and, you know, everybody's got to have a place to live. All right. So there's the trade there. And Mike, I, I'll give the last word to you. Is this something constructive that we can feel last more than just a few weeks into 2023? Yeah, I mean, here's here's something to think about in terms of the valuation for home builders generally. So uh, one way to think about their valuations is their book multiples. And that's basically the value of these companies relative to um, their land that they that they own. Now, this has ranged as high as maybe one and a half times. They're at about 0.9 times right now. So that means essentially what's going on is the market is just discounting the value of their assets. Let's just forget about their profitability for a moment. Um, because they're trading at single-digit multiples, and that makes a lot of sense because I think we can ex expect compressing margins. Some of them have tried to toe the line, not all. Companies like Lennar, which is going to be announcing next week, have really tried to uh, encourage home purchases with incentive plans and things like that, getting aggressive on pricing and, and deals. Uh, I think these companies are much more nimble than they were before the credit crisis. So that was a real wake-up call to them. They were a lot more asset-heavy at that time. I, I think that management is doing a good job here, and I have a feeling they're going to be able to navigate this. And as Scott pointed out, the issue that we have here is that there remains heavy demand. People need a place to live, uh, and I think that's essentially going to be the support. Maybe not the level of profitability we saw over the last couple of years, but it should uh, create some level of support. All right. A good look at the housing trade there. Thanks very much, guys. Still ahead on the show, we are taking a look back on one of Mike's very recent metals trades. What should you do now when Options Action returns? We are back in two minutes. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back on one of our open trades just last week. Right here on the show, Mike Coe and Carter Worth said, hi-ho, silver. As currencies weaken, we often think of the metals, industrials, and precious metals uh, rallying. Now, based on what he was just talking about, you might think that the rally that we've seen in silver recently in that case would be done. My thinking, though, is that we might actually still have some more upside. What I'm looking at is just a call spread. I was looking out to January, the 21-24 call spread when I was looking at that earlier today. cost about 85 cents. Okay. So there it was. Since then, shares of the SLV ETF have, well, they've barely budged. So, Mike Coe, why modify this one so soon, just a week after that first call? Well, uh, we did see outperformance of about 4.5% relative to the S&P over the week, up a little over 1.25% since last week. And what that has done is actually made it possible for us to roll that 21 call up to the 21.5s or even the 22s. If you roll to the 22s, you can take 50 cents of the initial 85 cents we spent for this off the table, and you still have a couple bucks worth of potential upside value there. So uh, it's moving in our direction. I'm staying with it, but you can adjust it. All right, hi-ho, silver away. All right, it's time to take some tweets now. Our first fan is asking, I have calls in Amazon, Snap, and CRISPR Therapeutics, all of which are green. Would you cash out these for smaller gains or let these ride for around 100% return? Scott Nations, what do we think here? All right, well, first, congratulations. Second of all, 
please don't look at, at percentage return as the point where you're going to get out. Uh, the market doesn't know. The market doesn't care. Be in the trade until you've gotten all the juice out of the orange. Uh, as far as just the, these names in particular, I love Amazon. Not a big fan of the other two. Uh, the CRISPR chart looks horrible. But I, I would look at it differently. Be in the trade until it no longer works, until there's a reason uh, to get out and then get out. All right. Our next tweet says, quote, I've been buying leaps on Amazon and Google for January 24 at 150 to $220 levels. Do you feel those levels are too high given their lowered price to earnings? Carter, this one to you. Sure. So, again, price to earnings uh, valuation is a terrible timing tool, as history shows. But let's talk about Amazon first. I mean, Amazon, your strike at 150 was at 150 in August. So you've got a year plus time. I think that's doable. It'll all depend on whether we have a continuation of the bear or bull. Now, Google, on the other hand, if the strike really is 220, the stock's trading at 90. Uh, its all-time high is 50. The odds of Google uh, going up 150% in the next year, I would say, are zero. All right. Thanks very much for the tweets, everyone. Keep them coming in. Up next on the show, we've got the final calls coming up, so keep it right here. All right, folks, time now for the final call. Carter Worth to you first. You want to be involved in precious metals and the stocks that traffic in them, so GLD or SLV or GDX, all of them, any of them. All right, Scott Nations to you. Uh, best in breed is an advantage that will persist, and that's why I like a risk reversal in the best of the banks, J.P. Morgan. All right, and Mike Coe, finally to you. Yeah, I don't think all financials are created equal, and if I'm taking a look at J.P. Morgan and MetLife, I prefer MetLife, and I use February calls to make that bullish bet, and I also think, despite the real weakness we've seen for home builders, that maybe a bullish bet can be played with call spreads. All right, that does it for now for Options Action. We are back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great weekend. We'll see you. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies.